The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Okey-dokey, friends, we have basketball back. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Bespris, your host, and we had two games happen last night. Basically, games to get the uh, the teams that were running low, running behind in games played to this point to try to help them catch up a little bit. But regardless, games nonetheless... So the Wizards, the uh, Spurs, the Mavs, the Grizz, those teams all caught up on everybody else by one game. But it still leaves a handful of teams well behind in overall games played. And everybody else, pretty much almost everybody else, I think, is on the docket today with a couple of teams that hold off until Friday. I want to do this show a little bit differently. What we're going to do first is recap the short Wednesday card because there were a few things I want to uh, deep dive, but like, a little bit somewhere between the, the shallow end of the pool and they've got to go to the bottom to find the whatever you dropped into the filter end of the pool. Uh, we're in the middle. Level dive on Wednesday. And then I want to spend a bunch of time previewing this Thursday card because I, I do think that the trade deadline is, uh, I believe, exactly two weeks from almost right now. And so we have to start paying attention to that. One of the things that's been nice about this weirdo COVID year, and there haven't been that many, but one of the things that's been nice is that the All-Star break happened exactly at the halfway point, and also that everything has been such an absurd sprint that we haven't had the normal trade deadline look ahead. I think that's happened because in a normal season, you get to January... And, you know, you're two months into the NBA season and the trade deadline is still like a month and a half away. But you're straight up in the dog days at that point. And you almost have no recourse but to start to look ahead. This year, everything has come on top of one another. Everybody's just climbing on each other's backs to get to the next thing. And also, we have the play-in tournament this year. So it wasn't as clear which teams were going to be buyers and which were going to be sellers until like a week ago or two weeks ago, when the Kings went belly up and just started losing all of their games, and the Rockets went on this 13-game losing streak, and it became very clear that those two teams were on the wrong side of things in the Western Conference. Eastern Conference, you know, teams that have an actual shot at the play-in tournament are going to have to pull the plug because it's the right thing to do, and that's going to hurt. Like the Magic, they should be pulling the plug. They're three and a half, four games out, I think, of the play-in tournament at this point. And they're just, they're not good, missing a bunch of their guys. Yes, they're going to get Aaron Gordon back here maybe as soon as tonight. Um, but they're not a good basketball team. And they know it. We've heard that they have some guys on the block. Cavaliers, they're only three, uh, two and a half, excuse me, games out of a play-in. I don't know what they're going to do. They're, you know, we know that they've sat, they've benched Andre Drummond until they can move him. We've heard Larry Nance is on the trading block. They're sellers in the we-don't-have-a-chance-to-win-a-championship sense, but betting the players on the team would like to make a run at it. So it's been a little bit more cloudy this year than in most seasons, and that, I think, has made it harder for us as analysts and fans to jump ahead 
to trade deadline stuff. There haven't been that many super obvious trade candidates other than the guys that were pre-shut down. That segues pretty well into the first thing that we actually need to talk about on today's podcast, which is that the Spurs have shut down LaMarcus Aldridge until they can move him. So he will no longer be playing for San Antonio, a team at 18 and 15, by the way, right now. They're in seventh place in the Western Conference. They're very much in the playoff picture. They're in the playoffs right now. They'd be part of that four-team Western Conference play-in situation. But they're not getting what they need to out of their former star center slash power forward, whatever the hell you want to call him these days, because he doesn't have any mobility. And so they're trying to trade him. And there are teams out there that could use LaMarcus Aldridge. And so I'll keep this analysis somewhat brief and somewhat clear, somewhat clear, and just say, if you have him, hold on, which is what you were probably doing anyway. And if he got dropped, you probably add him to see where he ends up, because there are at least three or four teams that I could name without even digging into the numbers where he would play meaningful basketball minutes. Boston, we've heard them link to big men all over the place. You know damn well they'd love to throw a big man in there who has a little bit more, I don't know, cachet. Although, I don't know that that makes him better, but regardless. Uh, Toronto's been looking for a big man. Dallas has been looking for someone to pair with Kristaps Porzingis. The Hornets are completely devoid of trustworthy big men. But, of course, the issue is that what we've seen from LaMarcus Aldridge this year is that he doesn't really want to rebound. He doesn't really want to run on defense. And so what team is going to give up a ton for that? So we shall see. It might take the full two weeks to get him out of there. And uh, then we play it by ear a little bit. But you're not dropping him. You are definitely stashing if you can. And uh, wait and see how that bad boy plays out. By the way, you guys have now two more opportunities, today's podcast and tomorrow's podcast, to participate in our Rate the Show competition where there is a cash prize waiting at the other end of the rainbow. So please do open up your podcast app on your mobile device or iTunes on a computer. Search for Fantasy NBA Today. Drop a five-star review on the show and write something funny and or nice and screenshot it to me at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. If you're having trouble figuring out what letters I just said, because, you know, audio, Google Dan from Hoopball, and my Twitter feed usually pops up in the top three, four results from that Google search. Or if you don't have social media, just email the screenshot to Hoopball at hoop-ball.com. That's the email address. Team Hoopball, all one word. T-E-A-M, Hoopball, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L, at hoop-ball.com. That's the domain name. So get yourself involved in that thing. We'll be drawing a winner at the end of the weekend. And then we're going to open up another contest next week. Contests on contests on contests, ladies and gentlemen. So get yourself involved in that. And also... I really haven't been pushing my bookie on you guys as much as I need to lately, so today's show, we're going to be hammering it down your throats. MyBookie.ag is the website. We need some more signups. We got to get you guys going. We want to show those dudes how powerful the HoopBall community is. Go to MyBookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account using promo code HoopBall. All one word. No dashes, no nothing in that one. Just H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L is the promo code. It's on the third page of signup over at MyBookie.ag. So many things to get money down on, especially if you're a part of our wager pass right now. Like, just today, 
and we're still relatively early in a conference tournament Thursday. Uh, Brew has two NBA plays. Joe has, let's see, one, two golf head-to-head matchup plays. He's got a litany of top 20s to wins to top players by region plays on the Players' Championship this weekend. Devin has one, two, three, four, five college basketball plays. Blake's got two. Doug's got one and counting. You know, that stuff gets added throughout the day. I didn't add them up as I was counting it. But that basically is 33 cents for all of that and then whatever gets added on. So go to mybookie.ag, open up that new account with promo code HOOPBALL, make your first deposit, and let me know you did so so that I can give you one of our smaller prizes. Prizes everywhere, guys. We got contests running so often that I can't even keep track of it. But anyway, let's dive into some of the basketball stuff here. As I want to cover the Wednesday results pretty quickly so that we can pivot into the run-up to the trade deadline, which, you know, again, I'm not going to spend too much time on any individual team, but in the what-to-watch-for elements that we're analyzing right now, a lot of it does come back to what we can expect over the next few weeks because this is stretch run time now. Grizzlies beat the Wizards 127-112. JV 29-20 and with four blocks. It's funny because just on, I think it was, was it yesterday's podcast or the one before, I was like, oh, dang, Jonas Valanciunas is ranked in the 90s. How did that happen? One big game later, he's number 81. His blocks jumped from .6 to .8, and suddenly... He's like two more big games away from being more or less where we expected him to be. So that by low opportunity, probably out the window. And I don't know that it ever really existed because I feel like even if you had JV, you probably were looking at him like, well, the only thing I'm not getting from him that I really wanted to was I thought he was going to block like one shot, 1.1, and he was at 0.6.7. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell low on that because otherwise I'm mostly getting what I expected. By all accounts, it's been a perfectly fine year. It's just these little things that sort of nibble at the edges of his value. Uh, also of note, no Grayson Allen in this ballgame, so I think most of us, myself included, thought DeAnthony Melton was going to see significant playing time. He did not. He played 18 minutes, was awesome in them. 11 points, 2 boards, 3 assists, 2 steals, a 3-pointer, 5 out of 7 shooting, missed a damn free throw, but otherwise just a stellar performance. While Desmond Bain... Played 31 minutes as a starter. Was hot, to his credit. 20 points, 4 boards, 5 three-pointers, and a steal. And so that sort of shoved Melton out to the outside again. But this is the crap that keeps going on with the Grizz. And it's driving me up the damn wall. Play DeAnthony Melton. And the logical retort would be, Dan, they won. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. You know, but like, what are we really doing here? They paid this dude and he's awesome. I got a lot of Brandon Clark questions over the course of the year. And I, I'm maybe this is the day where we pause and just say, like, this is who he is. He's a high percentages guy who's been um, fine, you know, when it comes to rebounding, things of that nature. Not great. Six boards a game, 12 points, 1.2 steals, 0.6 blocks. 52% from the field. He's number 92. And, you know, I thought he probably would take a small step forward on a per-game basis, because this is around where he was last year also. I thought maybe he jumps up more towards top 75 on a per-game and then just kind of compiles his way to a truckload of stats. But really, you're just sort of getting 
the Brandon Clark you had last year. And it's unfortunate because a lot of folks kind of overspent on him on draft day, hoping for that big leap forward. Um, but he's still been fine. And he's still a guy that you start every night. And you don't worry about the big up, ups and downs because overall he's been uh, an eighth rounder. You start eighth rounders. John Moran at 21 and 10 in this game. And somehow, I mean, we know the somehow, it's the free throws. He's just. It ain't there yet. That's where we're at. He's number 125 in uh, in nine cat. On the Grizzlies side, as we do the sort of look ahead game. By the way, Justice Winslow played 22 minutes, had nine, six, and four. They have kind of an abundance of riches right now in a way that they don't really have. And John Moran is the closest thing they've got to a a superstar, but they don't really have a superstar. They just have a lot of pretty damn good basketball players. Jaws pretty damn good. JV's pretty damn good. Clark is solid. Melton's good. Slow-mo's decent. Justice Winslow is fine. Dylan Brooks, who doesn't take great shots, but actually pretty good defender, he's fine. They roll it all together into a team that's been fine. They're game over 500. Just sort of slowly pushing along. They, They have hot stretches. They have cold stretches. The problem, of course, is that we all keep staring at this team like, is something going to give? And the answer is almost definitely no, because it's basically working for them. You'd have to see the Grizzlies, I think, go on something like a three or four or five game losing streak for Taylor Jenkins and company to say, all right, well, let's switch things up a little bit. Because right now they're just, they're sort of fine. You know, they win a couple, they lose a couple, they win a couple, they lose a couple, they're six and four, their last 10. They haven't been very good at home. They haven't been that great against the Western Conference. They're, what, 9-6 against the East, which is pretty typical, I think, West being uh, pretty dang tough. Uh, Pretty good on the road so far this year, for whatever reason. Memphis pretty good on the road. I don't know if that maybe levels off. And they just get production out of 9, 10 different guys, but very few of them are getting the run that we want. And add Grayson Allen and or Jaron Jackson Jr. back to the mix, and the thing gets even more complicated. So all that to say, you know, I'm sticking with the DeAnthony Melton, especially with Grayson Allen out with his concussion, because I think, you know, with if Melton clears 23, 24 minutes, he's a fantasy monster. And you saw it yesterday. In 18 minutes, he actually did enough for fantasy value anyway. Top 100 guy in like 22 minutes of ballgame. So I would say nowhere to go but up, but then... You know, they played him less than that yesterday. Clark is a, is a go. Melton is a go for the time being. Morant, unfortunately, is a go, even though he's actually he's kind of hurting more than he helps. JV, certainly a go. I don't trust Desmond Bain. I, I don't know that 31 minutes is a attainable number on a night-to-night basis. He's fine if you hearken back to our discussion from yesterday because the Grizzlies had 40 games left this year. So he's a... Can you roll up a whole bunch of stats? We also heard, by the way, that JJJ still probably a couple weeks away. Don't draft injured players. Good Lord. You know what's driving me crazy these days? And I'm not calling anyone out in particular because a couple of you guys listening might actually be guilty of it. People that have hit me up on Twitter to say, what do I do with Jaron Jackson Jr.? And I'm like, guys, are you serious with this? How many times... Between October and December, did I say, I will not draft an injured player, particularly one without a timetable? Don't do it. Kills a roster spot, 
They often come back slowly. They often end up hurting something else because they try to come back in the middle of the season without a proper ramp up. It's a mess. It's a it's a freaking kicking a hornet's nest with that stuff. It, it anyway. Wizard side, uh, Beal Westbrook has been better. I know he still can't make a free throw, but he continues to be a little bit better lately. I don't regret our buy low recommendation. The problem is that people spent way too much on the buy low because you know, good Russell Westbrook is still there's no way he gets to where he needs to be because his free throws have been full punt this year, and that was far worse than I think any of us expected. Otherwise, with the Wizards, you know, they're they're going to make a last-ditch effort here to try to get towards that play-in. By the way, we uh, I don't know if you guys know how the play-in stuff works. Wizards are, at the moment, just two games out. So uh, plenty of reason for them to kind of keep pushing here. Play-in tournament is the seven-seed plays the eight-seed. It's not a traditional, like, 1v4, 2v3 kind of thing. Seven hosts eight, and nine hosts ten in each conference, and the winner of 7-8 and eight is the 7 seed. The loser of 7-8 hosts the winner of 9-10. So if you're 7 or the 8 seed going in, you have two chances to win one game, and then you're in the playoffs. And if you're the 9 or the 10 seed, you have to win two games in a row to get into what would be the 8 seed at that point. So, like, right now, for example, if we started the playoff, if we started the play-in, in the Eastern Conference, the Hornets would host the Raptors for one game, and the Bulls would host the Pacers for one game. Although, I realize the Raptors and Bulls are technically tied, so forget that for just a minute. Uh, whoever wins Bulls-Pacers would go to whoever loses Hornets-Raptors. It's weird, I know, uh, but... It's kind of cool because it brings those 9 and 10 seeds in and extends the pool of teams that are actually trying for something a little bit later in the year. I, I do kind of like it. The more I look at it, the more I like it. In terms of fantasy stuff on the Wizards, you know, I, I'm still sort of stuck on this Davis Bertans thing. I, 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 I do believe that largely, or at least partially because of the fact that they have so many extra games to play the rest of the way, that he's a guy that, that probably does hit fantasy value in this second half. But I, I still don't like the fact that he he just hasn't really seemed healthy all season to this point. But you know what? He got three threes and a steal in this ballgame, and so you kind of quietly take it and shuffle along. Spurs were in Dallas taking on the Mavericks. We were watching Jalen Brunson, who only took four shots in 20 minutes on the court in this one, and therein lies the rub with Brunson. Yeah, the percentages, you know, he's been shooting the lights out from the field, but he's still not a feature player and in this one you know they happened to get a really nice game out of maxi kleba so he stuck around a little bit longer on the floor and they kind of went bigger in the ball game with uh luca as the giant point guard and then the rest of them were richardson dorian finney smith kleba and porzingis that's a huge lineup maybe not lakers huge but pretty damn big and they just stayed big for the whole game for the most part. Tim Hardaway Jr. only played 24 minutes. I actually think THJ is a drop at this point. And I may have said that before. If I did, I, I forgot. So I'll repeat it then. Tim Hardaway Jr. has not been good since Jalen Brunson started to play better. Because now those two guys and Josh Richardson to some degree are all kind of fighting for the same scraps. And that makes it hard for any of them to hold on to it long term. We were riding Brunson because he was hot. But 
know, this is the kind of game that reminds you he was operating at his ceiling for the better part of three or four weeks. The floor is pretty low. So I don't know that he's a must-start guy anymore. You can give him a little bit longer if you want, but you know you won't be missing out on a whole lot if if you do indeed punt. Spurs' side is the more interesting side of this ballgame because Keldon Johnson, they're slowly moving his minutes back up. He got to 22 in this ballgame. He looked okay. He was a guy that actually was kind of teetering on the brink of droppable prior to his COVID stuff. But the news of LaMarcus Aldridge going into permanent DNP mode We were all watching the big man minutes on this team. And one thing that I said prior to the All-Star break was that I didn't think you could get a good feel for what the Spurs were actually planning on doing with their big man minutes until the COVID guys came back. Meaning Rudy Gay, prior to that it was Keldon Johnson, he came back a little bit before these other guys, and Derek White were the two big ones that were still missing going into the break. Trey Lyles was playing big minutes going into the break, and Jakob Pertl obviously was playing big minutes going into the break. But for a stretch there, they, they didn't have anyone really to play power forward. But for Keldon Johnson playing, you know, 10, 12 minutes coming back from a what, what we're seeing here, even for NBA players, is a relatively debilitating, breathing illness. So this is a little bit of a better look in this ballgame. And the, and the name that jumped out was Rudy Gay, who played 27 minutes with no LaMarcus Aldridge. 13 points, 9 boards, 3 steals, 3 threes. Do I think he can actually maintain 27 minutes per game the rest of the way? No, probably not. That'd be asking an awful lot of someone who is also on the older side of things. He's also someone that's probably going to slide a little bit. I don't want to say undetected, but underdetected. Because he's been sort of old and hadn't done a whole lot for a while yet it's been a bit which means you probably have a little bit more time to make a call on whether or not you want Rudy Gay let me make the case for Rudy Gay for you guys that's what I'm going to try to do here on today's show in 22 minutes per game Rudy is sitting around the edge of the top 170 not very good I know 4.1 5 out of 10 field goals per game. So he's shooting 41.5%, which I should mention to you guys is the lowest mark for Rudy since 2000. Well, uh, healthy season for Rudy since 2012. He had a 39 in there, but he only played 18 games. Uh, it was like a, it was a partial season with Toronto. So it didn't, it didn't fully count. Uh, if you're looking at full campaigns, so not split teams where trades were happening. Uh, Memphis in 2012, he shot 41%, 40.8 that year. That was actually also a split year. He shot 42.5% with Toronto, and he was kind of in that range for about a two-year span. Otherwise, and for most of his career, he's been around 45 to 46%, and more recently with the Spurs, uh, he actually had a, a season two years back where he shot 50%. He was at 45 last year. The argument can be made that his three-point attempts are going up. 44% of his shot attempts this year are from downtown. Although, wasn't that far off last year in that one. He was at like 37, 30 to 40-ish percent of his shots were from three-point land last year. 
So what you're seeing right now is a guy who just sort of isn't making as many of his two-pointers, and I might argue that perhaps, perhaps that levels off a little bit. Let's argue that it does. Let's argue that it does. Also of note, 78% at the free throw line. I know what you're thinking. Career 80%? He's not that far off from that mark at 78. Yeah, that's true, except really lately, last five, six, seven, eight years, and basically if you wipe out the first three, four years of his career, he's been well over 80% at the free throw line, 81, 82. So the 78% this year, that probably also trends back up a little bit. Steals at .8, blocks at .5. I don't think that we can expect those to change all that much because over his career, he's been more of like a uh, 1.3-ish per 36. So maybe he gets to one. And why don't we just do this? Why don't we just compare what could happen now to his season with the Spurs two years ago where he played 26 minutes and 40 seconds per game Averaged 14-7 and seven with 2.5 assists, 0.8 steals, 0.5 blocks, 50% from the field. Maybe we don't expect it to go that high. And 82% at the free throw line. What does a season like that, the 2018-2019 season for Rudy Gay, what does that actually mean for a player's value? What if he did that for the next 30-some-odd games? That's top 85-type production when compared to uh, sort of a traditional full year. I don't think he's getting to 50% from the field over this stretch. So that would certainly adjust that down from 84% to something slightly lower. I also think the 1.13 pointers probably goes up. He's at 1.6 this year because more of his shots are from downtown. So 1.13s, maybe that trends more towards two. So does that cover up the field goal percent drop? Not entirely, but perhaps a little bit. Steals and blocks were kind of low for him that year in .8 and .5, respectively. So it's possible that maybe he gets to around one steal and .6 blocks per game. That's enough, actually, to completely cover up the 50% down to, say, 45% field goal the rest of the way. So this is your case. Today's podcast, this is your case to pick up Rudy Gay. And I have no... Listen, I want to preface what I'm about to say with kind of an escape hatch, which is it's quite possible that as Keldon Johnson's minutes trend back up from 21 to, say, 28 to 30, maybe that comes out of the Rudy Gay bucket and his 27 goes back down towards 22 or 23. But with LaMarcus Aldridge out of the picture, there is a path here for Rudy Gay to play 26 or 27 minutes of ballgame, and he is a likely top 100 guy or slightly better in near starters minutes. I'll say this too. It wasn't like he was having a massive shooting game yesterday. You know, he went four for 12. So you just never know. Spurs might acquire someone that would take some minutes away from Rudy Gay if they trade away LaMarcus Aldridge, which we know is what they're doing. So there's no guarantee here that this is something that lasts even as long as one ball game. But I make the case to you because a lot of us are sitting on guys that are not interesting or maybe are a one or two game streamer. Why not take a guy that maybe has a path to a top 90 couple of, couple of months? 
Then again, we can abandon ship if we need to. The guy that you absolutely positively must have on your team, and not because of the game he had yesterday, but because the role is his to lose is Jakob Pertl, who is our official. I'm going to... It's an audio podcast, so you can't see that. With my hands, I'm currently pantomiming, pinning a medal on Jakob Pertl as our first official streamer with benefits award winner uh, since we introduced that term, because this is a guy we picked up as a streamer when Aldridge went down. He kept the starting job even when Aldridge came back, and now LaMarcus is being shipped off, and so Jakob Pertl is just the center in San Antonio now. He played 32 minutes in this ballgame, got worked by Porzingis and Luka, but who cares? The minutes are his. That's all that matters at this point. That is all that matters at this point, because uh, one game doth not a season make. Jakob Pertl's number 166 on the year in 23 and a half minutes per game. That 23 and a half is going way up. Over the last month, Pertl playing 29 and a half minutes per game as a starter. He's number 76. And that is sustainable. Eight points, nine rebounds, a steal, two blocks, good field goal percent, bad free throw, but he doesn't take any. So, you know, wipe it out. Jakob Pertl could very easily be a top 75 center the rest of the way. You're talking seventh round value from someone that we picked up as a streamer with benefits. Fantastic. I think he's actually a member of the Hoopball Six, so uh, Bruce saw this one coming a mile away. But for many of us that couldn't sit on him the first month, month and a half of the year, he ends up being uh, a really, really good grab. And if someone drops him because of this bad game, uh, put that team out to pasture in your league because dude is sitting on a a terrific finish here did i give rudy gay i may have given rudy gay the wrong current ranking i don't care it doesn't matter you guys got the point uh nothing else of note on the spurs side he says sort of tongue-in-cheek oh Derek white came back played 27 minutes and was very rusty <laughs> oh man was he rusty uh, I would sell the farm for Derek White right now. And I mean that in sort of uh, a little bit of a silly way, but uh, he, he his upside is extraordinarily high. And no one's going to be dropping him off of this bad game or off of the missed games from COVID, so you're not going to be able to get him that way. But if you can go out and you can snatch him up for something on the cheap, because he's number 146 on the year, and... Teams might be getting a little bit irritated with him. Uh, they've been squatting on him all season long, whatever you want to call it. You know, this is a guy that in 24 minutes is like a 7th, 8th rounder. So anything above that, and he'll blow the ceiling off the place. Like, there is legitimate top 60, top 50 upside with Derek White the rest of the way. Go try to buy him right now before the Spurs play another ball game. Mid-show reminder, mybookie.ag is the website. Promo code is HOOPBALL when you open up your new account over there. Mid-show reminder, enter into our Rate the Podcast contest and win a cash prize, or maybe win a cash prize. Five-star review, type something funny, screenshot it to me, at Dan Bespers, or email it to teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Don't forget, multi-reminder on this show. And now let's talk Thursday. Let's talk tonight. It's a big card, 11 games. Detroit at Charlotte. And we're going to work our way through it piece by piece. It's not going to be a betting show today. This is fantasy because we're prepping for the second half. This is a big, this is a pivotal few weeks coming up here in the fantasy season. 
Pistons are in Charlotte. We're waiting on news on DeLon Wright. He was listed as questionable yesterday. Uh, so he's close, even if he doesn't end up playing tonight. If he does not end up playing tonight, you can probably stream Dennis Smith Jr. for maybe what he, one more game, something like that. If DeLon Wright is back, I think you can immediately drop Dennis Smith Jr. because there's almost no way, even if he got a good chunk of the backup minutes, it's not going to be enough. Pistons are much better with DeLon as their, as their starting point guard. And I don't see them really going away from that because, you know, they got Dennis Smith Jr. as a little bit of a throw-in in the Derrick Rose thing. They're going to sort of kick the tires on it, see what they've got. But, uh, they're you know, DeLon's the guy that was powering the locomotive there. The, 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 he was pretty much the guy that was getting them to victories, what few they were getting, before he went down. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, otherwise, you know, we've had some questions about Isaiah Stewart in Detroit. Mason Plumley is their guy. So if Stewart is coming on, there's going to be some big lineups. It's going to be later in the year. As you're coming down the stretch, you'll see Plumley sit out some games. You'll see them split minutes, go to more of a timeshare. I don't think there's going to be this full handing off of the keys because next year you're going to come back in year two of Plumley's contract, and he's still going to be the guy around there unless... They find a taker for someone that still has multiple years left on their contract. I, I just, you know, they went out and they got him. Dwayne Casey loves him. That report came out that Plumlee was sort of Casey's target. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that is imminent. An Isaiah Stewart takeover. I don't think that's imminent. I think there's, you know, a chance he's averaging 20-some-odd minutes a game towards the end of the year, but uh, more streamer than anything else. Sadiq Bey should still be fine. Um, Josh Jackson, when he comes back, you'll probably see him take those minutes back from Wayne Ellington, but that may also slip back into a timeshare. Detroit, uh, in terms of what they can still do, the answer is not a whole lot because they're building around Jeremy Grant. They gave Plumlee that big contract. I, you know, I don't know that anyone else on the Pistons is necessarily on the move at this trade deadline. Charlotte, they're going for it, man, and they might as well because they're in the playoffs right now. Uh, Cody Zeller's health is a question mark. Sounds like Devontae Graham is back, but on a minute's restriction. So uh, that probably sort of pulls the plug on whatever Malik Monk points league streaming stuff you had going on there. Devontae Graham was not playing particularly well this year. Anyway, he was very much a point field goal percent type of guy because uh, he'd been relegated to backup duties. And the only way he was able to float himself was gigantic usage, which he doesn't have anymore. So he's outside the top 150, yeah, he's basically droppable in category leagues if you're not punting field goal percent. And on a minutes restriction, however long that takes for him to get back, you know, you might be looking at still another week or two before he even gets back to that top 150 area. There is hope, I will say, there is hope that his 35% shooting trends up. That shouldn't be a full-season professional basketball player's field goal percent. That is unacceptable Boston at Brooklyn this should be a fun one Nets without Kevin Durant for at least another couple of weeks he's being reevaluated next week the hamstring is just not getting better uh, I haven't heard anything on Jeff Green maybe I missed it it's possible I missed it but if if KD and Green are still out then the Bruce Brown experience can continue because Blake Griffin is also not playing in this ballgame he's out for uh, maintenance presumably to get his conditioning up 
So uh, then we probably see Blake Griffin in their next ball game, and then that might obliterate Bruce Brown. So there's a lot to keep track of there. Am I picking up Blake Griffin? Nope. Certainly not in category leagues. Points leagues, you can at least keep one eye on him. He's probably going to get added everywhere just because of his big name. Uh, And with Kevin Durant set to miss some more time, that might mean a little more Blake Griffin usage in those points leagues formats where you might, you know, you don't need the steals. You don't need blocks. If his percentages aren't great, it doesn't completely annihilate you. But, you know, he's going to be a guy that ends up back on waiver wires as the Nets get healthy. I can pretty much plant my flag in that. And on the Boston side, sounds like Marcus Smart is ready to come back. Uh, Can't imagine he plays starters minutes his first game back. But one thing to track is what does his return do to the big men in Boston? That was where we were really focusing our attention with Smart out because they... You know, the Celtics just went bigger. They played more Tristan Thompson, more Daniel Tice, more Time Lord, who was really coming on prior to the All-Star break. Does that continue? Who suffers here? Can they work Marcus Smart back in while still getting enough on the plate for any of those three big men to have value? The the one with the quickest path is still the Time Lord, because he can put up numbers in 15, 16 minutes of ballgame. Daniel Tice is the guy that seems to have sort of first crack at most of the available playing time. But it's it's an issue, because before, they could slide one of those two guys down, Tice usually, to play power forward if they wanted to, get Time Lord out there at center, get Tristan out there at center. Now with Smart back in, if they're going to play Marcus, Kemba, Tatum, and Brown, that only leave one open slot on the floor. So that is absolutely something that we're going to be tracking, and I don't think we're going to get a ton of data on it tonight, because I figured, what do we think here? Marcus Smart probably playing like 16, 20 minutes in this one. So it doesn't tell the whole story yet, but keep tabs. Keep tabs. Atlanta in Toronto. Sounds like Clint Capella is a go. That's really good news. Otherwise, the Hawks were just sort of waiting on updates on DeAndre Hunter and seeing what Danilo Gallinari is going to do here. Does the All-Star break, is that something that his body needed He has been super inconsistent and has unfortunately been quite droppable aside from a couple of big ball games blended in with a bunch of very quiet ones. Uh, You know, what does Nate McMillan do with this team? They they won a couple games going into the break. They won one. They won them both kind of ugly. And uh, Toronto, wildly shorthanded here. They're still missing most of their starters due to health and safety stuff. So that's a team that really I don't think that you're paying too close attention to because whatever you're getting with Toronto is going to be a little bit of a mix and match. And I don't want to I don't want to take chances. There's no obvious streamer there other than the guys that were already plugged in. Philly, uh we might be looking at some streaming opportunities with the 76ers. I I'm squatting on all this stuff because it seems like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons will continue to miss time. Um but how much? Is it going to be one game? Is it going to be more than one? If it's just tonight, I'm not super worried about it. Uh, I need an update on that before I, I make any moves. Certainly Dwight Howard is your backup center there. And uh, last time Simmons missed a game, they sort of rotated through. Matisse Thybul played a little bit more. Uh, Furkan Korkmaz played a little bit more. Shake Milton played a little bit more. A lot of that stuff was was bouncing around. Chicago is a super interesting team to watch right now because they're getting Larry Markinen and Otto Porter back in this same ball game. Markkanen is coming back from a shoulder injury, which makes me think that 
a minute's limit, if indeed there is one, won't be quite as severe as what you're looking at with Otto Porter. Here's my take on all of this stuff, and it, it's the kind of thing that you really needed a podcast for because I was trying to think about how to express it on Twitter, and it wasn't working all that great. First of all, Porter, not an auto ad. Because I don't think his body can handle more than about 23, 24 minutes a ball game, and that's not going to be enough for him on this Bulls team, at least. Not where he's sort of slotted in behind a bunch of other guys. Markinen is certainly someone that you are adding, and maybe even, I don't know if I'd start him his first game back, unless they tell us, oh yeah, no minutes restriction, then you probably can throw him out there. Uh, you might want to just watch him for one ball game. So Otto is probably a no. Markinen is almost definitely a yes. Those are easy. The harder ones, I think, are what does this do to Thad Young and Wendell Carter Jr.? Because Wendell Carter Jr. had been playing pretty well of late. His full season mark now up into the 130 range over the last month. He's at 109. These were improvements for him because he was back more towards the 150 range when he was playing alongside Markinen and alongside Porter and Patrick Williams and all these other guys. When everybody went down, Thad Young was the guy who stepped up, and he's been very good for most of this season. I don't want to jump to Thad quite yet. He's number 71, by the way, in uh, 25 minutes per ball game. Wendell Carter Jr. I'm putting on my bench. There is a possibility I end up dropping him in the next couple of weeks if the Markinen return pushes his minutes back down from, you know, he was getting, uh, he was getting close to 30 while he was sort of the lone, trustworthy center. He wasn't guaranteed. He was at 27. There was a 23, 24, 32, 29. Since he came back and the minutes restriction was lifted, it was like 33, 29, 31, 24, 23, 27. So it bounced around a little bit. But it was certainly better numbers than the you know 25 to 26, 25 to 27 range he was hitting with marketing healthy. So if his minutes trend back down towards 25, 27, then Carter Jr. probably becomes a drop because he's not doing enough in his time on the floor to warrant those. Steals and blocks have been okay, but not good. Better lately, but still not good. Free throw percent is meh. Field goal percent has been good. That's kind of been the one thing. Rebounding has been pretty good lately, but does marketing jack a few of those? So I really want to see how this goes. Bench him for now and assess. Thad Young, interestingly, I actually don't know that we even need to bench him. I think you can probably let him fly. His minutes had, they've been lower, certainly, with Wendell Carter Jr. back, and they'll probably get lower again with Otto Porter and Laurie Markkinen back in place. I, like, I don't know how they don't, but Thad's been so unbelievably critical for this Bulls team and the pretty good stretch of basketball they've been playing that I don't know how they take him out. Zach Levine called him the first-half MVP for that team. It's been unbelievable the kind of resurgence he's had this year with no Jim Boylan around to screw it all up. 12.6 rebounds, 4.4 assists, two combined defensive stats and only 25 and change minutes per ballgame. I could see him still getting to around 25 minutes per game because, well, for instance, look at the last ball game the Bulls played before the All-Star break. It was a high-scoring affair and not my main concern how many points got put up. Uh, Tomas Sadoransky played 21 minutes. Garrett Temple played 36. Denzel Valentine, 14. 
there are minutes if they feel like they need to pull from somewhere else to keep Thad Young at 25 on the floor. I wouldn't blame you if you put him on your bench for the Bulls ballgame tonight just to kind of see how things get figured out. But also bear in mind that Otto Porter's not going to play that much in his return from a ve- an extended back-related, back-injury-related absence. And then even if Markinen does play a bunch, uh, I still think they'll find a way to, to get Thad in there. So I get it. If you want to take a brief respite here, Bench him until you see how the minutes work out. That's fine. I'm probably starting him because he's shown that he could just do it in 22 to 26 minutes a game right now. By the way, the line on that game is Chicago by three and a half, so I'm pretty sure we're, we're missing the Sixers' studs. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I Dwight Howard could easily go six for 12 at a free throw line and blow up whatever streaming you're doing there. So, I, yeah, I'm not, not super into the Philly stuff. Orlando at Miami. Michael Carter-Williams had a couple of really good games going into the All-Star break. We'll see if he can keep that going. Waiting on Aaron Gordon news, which will also change how we assess any Al Farouk Aminu stuff we've been talking about on the podcast, so that's an interesting thing. Bam Adebayo is still dinged up for Miami. Uh, they went to a much more Kelly Olynyk-centric game with no Bam going into the break. So I guess that could be good for him if uh, if Bam is still out, but I'm not making any large-scale adjustments to what we're looking for uh, on the Miami Heat. The Knicks, uh, waiting on Derrick Rose news. I, and again, maybe I missed it, but I've been looking pretty close and I haven't seen anything yet. Hopefully he's back. Uh, Knicks are generally healthy aside then for Mitchell Robinson if Rose does make his return here. Um, probably bench probably bench him. Because with Pel- with Peyton back... We don't know what that means. Rose, his minutes were trending up prior to this health and safety absence. And the question I have is, do they stick in that high 20s range when he comes back? Or was that that one game prior to Peyton getting hurt, was that the one-off or was that the start of a trend? That's what I want to know. And I don't think I'm willing to risk it in a games cap format while we wait to find out. Obviously, if you're in a limited games format, you just start him if he's playing. That one's... Not really a question you have to consider. Uh, Milwaukee, I don't care. Bobby Portis, by the way, he's been trending down pretty hard, so keep tabs on that situation. Minnesota, uh, sounds like D'Angelo Russell's actually rejoining the team after this ball game, and he'll do his he'll start his on court stuff. So he's probably within a week or two of uh, we'll see him out there for probably somewhat limited minutes, but not that far away. Which means the Ricky Rubio experience is likely nearing its conclusion. He had a chance to be a streamer with benefit. I don't know that the benefits are going to stick there, but you can ride it out as long as you need to. I'm not interested in the rest of the Minnesota front court. We'll see if they make any moves at the trade deadline to bring in a young power forward. They've been linked to John Collins and Aaron Gordon and Larry Nance, I think, although he's not necessarily a young one anymore. Pelican side, nothing really. Nothing really. Dallas, we got to see them yesterday. Thunder, they've already made the youth movement plus... Al Horford, so I don't think that anything drastic changes here out of the All-Star break. Phoenix-Portland, same kind of thing, mostly just waiting on news on C.J. McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic, each of them appearing to be somewhat close, but not quite ready yet. Nurk being reevaluated next week. McCollum went to a funeral, so I think he was away from team practice. We haven't gotten a, uh, a great update on, on C.J. as of yet either. Warriors, don't care. Clippers... The only thing I could see emerging with the Clippers is does Patrick Beverly, with some time off here, 
work his way back up to full starters minutes? Does Ivica Zubats see, do his minutes continue to trend upward? But everything in Clippers land is this sort of slow fantasy burn where nothing needs to be decided on a, a, a spur of a moment. You know, it's not like one of these games we were talking about earlier in the, the slate tonight. It's not like uh, Chicago where we might see something break in someone's favor or Atlanta if someone under a new coach does a bunch of stuff or like if Boston big changes with Marcus Smart. The, the, the Clippers stuff is all just this, oh, over this month, this little thing happened. Houston-Sacramento... A game that I think we can safely call super uninteresting, but for fantasy purposes. Christian Wood still apparently about a week away due to conditioning their sink, because he really was off that ankle for a long time. So Justin Patton probably has a little bit of streaming value remaining. P.J. Tucker, these are two teams that have some pretty obvious names on the trade block. We've heard P.J. Tucker linked to a bunch of teams on the Houston side. We've heard Harrison Barnes linked to a few teams on the Sacramento side. And... You know, the P.J. Tucker one, I think, is a little bit easier to handicap, and we've talked about it before, but just to quickly reiterate, if he's moved, guys like Jay Sean Tate and Sterling Brown, and if Daniel House gets healthy, those guys get a big bump, especially with the fact that John Wall and Oladipo, there's no way that they play out the stretch here in Houston. At some point, and it sounds like John Wall wants to play in some back-to-backs, and I think the Rockets realize this is sort of, last gasp territory right now like they need to make a serious run to even get close to playoff contention so the wheels can come off quick they lost 13 games in a row going into the all-star break the young guys are going to get a shot out there and so I know that there's been some frustration that Tate hasn't been putting up big numbers since he got this opportunity he's been getting dropped in leagues to me he's someone you have to sit on because he's still getting the minutes, and then as the the minutes, if they're sticking, the usage has almost nowhere to go but up also. Uh, and among those other guys, you know, I, with with House being out, that makes it a little bit tougher to handicap, but to me, he would probably be the next guy on, the, on that pecking order. On the Kings side, you know, the Kings are a little bit weird, because we saw Sacramento play, was it one, maybe two games? I think Harrison Barnes missed a couple of games in the middle of February. It was like February just after Valentine's Day, I think, right? Somewhere in that neck of the woods. Um, And what you actually saw there was generally more Marvin Bagley. And Rashawn Holmes missed a couple games in that same window too, which, which did, unfortunately, make it a little bit harder to figure out exactly why certain players were getting what they were. But like, your 20th loss in Chicago. A relatively high-scoring game. Uh, Kings put up a buck 14. Bulls won 22. Bagley, Hassan Whiteside started that game at center because Rashawn Holmes was also out. Marvin Bagley started at power forward, which is where he normally is. Corey Joseph started at small forward. Like that, that can't possibly be the solution for Sacramento if Barnes gets traded. You guys have heard me say about a thousand times on this podcast, I really don't like Marvin Bagley's fantasy game. He was someone that I took a flyer on in the you know 12th, 13th round of uh, some of my leagues. Uh, Points League was one where I was willing to take a shot on him a little bit sooner. In 26 minutes a game right now, he's outside the top 240. Now, what, what else can we do 
about this? Where can we, what angles can we find? You could say, Dan, over the last month, look at the last month. Okay. Over the last month, in 28 and a half minutes per game, he's number 130. All right. That's getting there. If Barnes is traded, and I mean, Rashawn Holmes could be on the block also, which is terrifying because you know we all love Rashawn Holmes. And Hassan Whiteside is basically going to get bought out almost definitely. Marvin Bagley could be your last man standing in Sacramento. Nemanja Bielica, do they end up having to throw him in there? Like, things could get really weird for this team in a hurry. Daquan Jeffries, who's not a center, he's 6'5", 230, sort of a stout uh, guard wing type. Like, these are... The path to value here is clearest for Bagley. Because we've heard that they they he's on the block too, but I don't think they're getting any takers for him. So the Kings may have no choice down the stretch but to just let the kids go nuts and, you know, De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley can just go out there and take 16 to 22 shots apiece and no one cares what happens. That's, a, that's actually a real possibility for this team. So as much as I detest his fantasy game... I do think Marvin Bagley is either a guy you can put on your watch list or a guy you can just stick at the end of your bench and say, all right, look, you know, in two weeks, Barnes may be gone. Holmes may be gone. I mean, Rashawn Holmes is a guy that should net them all sorts of goodies. He's, he's incredible, and a lot of teams could use a guy like that. Even more, honestly, than teams could use a Harrison Barnes because a lot of the teams that are making these playoff runs, you know, they don't need a scoring small forward power forward type. They could use a big man that can run the floor and defend. You need that stuff in the playoffs. And I guess Barnes can get his own shot. That's useful. I'm not saying that he doesn't have value. And he's had a really good year too. Uh, but the Kings could just unload their whole front court. I don't know what's going on with Bagley's defensive stats this year. 0.5 steals, 0.5 blocks. I mean, that's atrocious. He was at about one block per game coming into this year. That's completely evaporated. But again, like in the free throw numbers, he shot 81% at the foul line last year in only 13 games. He was at 69% the year before that. He's at 53 this year. I don't know what the hell happened there either. I don't think free throw percent is coming back. There's something going on in his dome, and that's just going to be terrible this year. So you have to assume that he's going to be hurting you there. But, you know, let's say that he gets better shots and he's shooting 52, 53% from the field, something like that, and a decent volume. Uh, he could sort of overwhelm the bad free throw percent if he's out there enough to average like 18 and 8, and maybe he gets a block if he's out there another three or four minutes per game. I don't know, but he's an interesting trade deadline stash as the last man standing. What about the guys on the move? Well, I think almost anywhere that Barnes goes, he probably takes a hit, and almost anywhere that Holmes goes, he probably takes a hit. That's not a great. That's not a great look. In fact, both of the teams we just talked about, Kings and Rockets, most of the trade deadline value is the remaining pieces on a team that's now going to be giving longer looks or just doesn't have more bodies, <laughs> respectively. A lot of stuff to keep track of here. Uh, I thought this podcast was going to be shorter. I was very wrong. Folks, have a wonderful Mondo Thursday. Make sure you set those lineups. I almost forgot to do it yesterday, and uh, I'm going to do it here as we wrap up the pod. So enjoy it. Hit me up again. Last reminder for the day. Uh, get yourself involved in our Rate the Podcast competition, win some cash, and sign up for an account at mybookie.ag. Promo code, again, 
Hoopball, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. Let me know when you've made your first deposit. We got those small prizes to give away as well. You will be happy that you did. I am Dan Vesperus, at Dan Vesperus on Twitter or via email, teamhoopball at hoopdashball.com. This was Fantasy NBA Today, a hoopball presentation. Enjoy it. We'll talk to you tomorrow. We can review. How the hell did that happen? Feels like Tuesday. It's not. Goodbye. This has been a hoopball presentation.